0: video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch. Hello, to watch my name is Justin McClure and I'm here today with... Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all the new Blu-rays and DVDs yeah. live from Bay Street Video. And by that I mean live from our homes
1: because we can't meet... Well, I'm still at Bay Street Video. You're alive. You're yeah, you're still at Bay... So technically live at Bay Street Video. You're live from your home. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty impressed that we've managed to keep this live from Bay Street Video thing going through all this. I know you've had to record from home, but like, I've still been, you know, sending dispatches here from the store. I
0: mean, that's because your internet connection is terrible at your home, Mark. Let's not get into that.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> Just buy out. better internet. In this economy? I already have a good internet package. I don't know what it is. There's something to do with our building. It like, well, the signal won't travel through the walls.
0: <laughs> you don't get
1: wireless internet like your your router is patched into a landline. I honestly don't even know. I've checked my internet. I've called my internet provider. They have no idea why. Grandpa,
0: I'm going to have to come over and set it up You're for you. you have to come over and fix it, Put please. an ethernet cable into your router, plug it into
1: your computer. I, I will say my apartment is weird. It's like a weird technological no zone in a, in a weird way. We always have tech problems with any sort of thing in our prob- in our apartment, and I'm not sure why. saying
0: it's cheap. <laughs> no, it's not. You live in Toronto.
1: <laughs> it's it's the cheapest I could find. But Did yeah, you see uh, there cheap. was an
0: article that popped up on Twitter on Globe and Mail, like on the side, that's like, Ugh. a couple looking for a $450,000 uh, down payment on a house couldn't <laughs> find anything. It's like, screw you. Yeah, $450,000 right?
1: down payment? I know. I hate those articles. Why is Twitter showing these to me? No! I know, I know right? They want to make you feel bad. That's yeah, like.
0: and keep looking at Twitter angrily. That's how they get you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we
0: are a Blu-ray and DVD podcast, so let's jump into it. <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears?
1: Yeah, let's, talk about, let's make this a real estate podcast. Uh,
0: in the cult section, we only have two. The first one is The Forest, an old Code Red release um, put out by Kino. Now, this one is interesting because the cover makes it look like, and the first five minutes make it feel like a slasher film set in like a haunted forest not really it's mostly about like ghost children of a cannibal (laughs) that are like chasing after some people that like get lost in the forest i don't know it has its fans not really my thing
1: yeah i've never seen it i I was kind of intrigued by the cover art alone but now you're not selling me on it that much so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and i hope i'm not selling anybody listening to this either don't
1: buy it <laughs> i love forest slasher stuff but if that's not what this no, is no like the
0: forest yeah. coming alive and
1: killing people <laughs> Yeah. No, this is not what it is.
0: Uh, but like I said, it has its fans. I remember, I think I liked the director's first film a little bit more. Is it Girls in Chains or something like that? Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, this, uh, The Forest and the director have a great chapter in Stephen Thrower's uh, Nightmare USA, uh, his book on like independent American cinema. Definitely recommend people check that out. And that's what led me to The Forest. We also have The Theater Bazaar being released by Severin because I believe it is a film that maybe Severin produced in some way. So,
1: I mean, it was put out on DVD by like image entertainment i believe like mm, a decade so maybe ago not. so maybe not initially but i know a lot of the because this is an anthology film right i i don't i think a few of the filmmakers are in with severin right I, they're part of like the severin family so to speak i guess yeah
0: so. like i know that uh richard stanley directed one of these segments i think joe dante did one and i believe that ken russell did the other if I'm not mistaken, I never saw this movie because everybody gave it bad reviews. Um,
1: is that the? Let me check. Is that are those the right directors? I feel like you're right on. Richard. Oh, am I
0: getting that it confused with something else? I think Trapped
1: Ashes is the one that has Joe Dante. Oh, Trapped yeah, Ashes which is, a is what I'm movie. thinking. Yeah, I did not like. Right,
0: that. right. Oh no, this is definitely um, Douglas Buck, Buddy Giovesa. I can never say his name. Uh, the director of Combat Shock, David Gregory. Oh yeah, this is a this is definitely a Severn production. Those are all the names of people that Severn works with. Yeah. Oh, no, I never saw this one either.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is one of... We're, we're waiting on a lot of late Severn titles, as we always are, from from I think of January now. But uh, this is the only one that arrived this week for some reason, so... Uh, I yeah. wonder if it has its fans. I don't know. I was always kind of intrigued, um, just because, you know... I mean, Udo Kier's in this. I can always get behind that. (laughs) Uh, Some of these directors are kind of intriguing. Uh, But you know what it's going to be. Was there ever a great
0: anthology film in that late 2000s wave that happened? Yeah,
1: I feel like we've had this conversation before and we came to the conclusion that no, no, No. it was not. (laughs) I mean, I remember seeing Trapped Ashes at the time and being really excited for that because of, you know, Joe Dante and everything. And that was a terrible, terrible experience. Uh, I even remember, what did I watch around that time? Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. You remember that? Was that late 2000s? I thought that was more like an early 2000s joint. No, I think that was late 2000s. I think he did Bones in the early 2000s. Oh, you know, it was 2006. So it was like mid to late. But But I remember being, you know, kind of... Excited for that, but that was terrible.
0: I mean, we always have the first Tales from the Hood. Don't check out the second or third yeah, one, I please. <laughs> Forget about those, yeah.
1: I mean, I like the first VHS at the time, but I haven't really haven't really gone back to it. The second VHS had a couple of good segments. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I like liked the
0: one or parts of the one that were directed by
1: Timo. Uh, Timo Giugento. Or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was good. there's some fun stuff in that
0: because it was like a first person stuff. I also like the one from the director of Dance of the Dead. It was like the Magician one because it was like a lot of goofy stuff in it. I wish David Greg Bishop is his name, the director, went on to do other stuff but he never really did. He made the other side, which I think is an underrated, like 16 millimeter fantasy horror action movie, Dance of the Dead, and then that VHS viral segment and Siren, which was terrible, based on the segment from the first um, VHS movie. So moving on into the classic section, we have Tuki Buki from Criterion. Ha <laughs> you suckers. Did you not buy the world cinema set? Well, now you gotta pay full price for this one. Ha <laughs> ha, we're Criterion, we don't care. You'll pay anyway.
1: Yeah, this is an odd one. I'm wondering if Criterion's counting on people to be confused or just people People who didn't care to buy the whole Martin Scorsese set. Criterion's
0: been phoning it in and we say this every time there's like a new Criterion title. They didn't, I think, did they add any new special features? I think there may be a new short film on this. On the
1: initial release from Kino on DVD way back in the day, they had one of his short films which never made it onto the Martin Scorsese world right. cinema set. So that's probably what that so is. So I think they've just added that but I don't think there's anything more. Um, Give us a contextual commentary, Criterion. What the heck are you doing? That's the thing. Tuki Buki's great but I I just feel like this is just thing they've already kind of released before and they haven't really done that much with it. So. People
0: should be checking out those World Cinema box sets if you can should. afford it. yeah. Because
1: they're great. They're great. Yeah, you get this and then a whole bunch of other films that you might not have even heard of and will come to Are those still in print or are they Yeah, they're very very much in what print. What the hell is happening then if this one's coming out? I remember when the set came out, Tukibuki was a bit of an outlier on it just because it was like probably the most well known title on Do you it. mean Outlier? Isn't it Outlier? I've oh always... no, Outliner? I always get it
0: wrong. I always thought it was Outlier. Yeah, I don't think it's Outlier. I've never heard it say that way, but... All right, it's Outlier is correct. Outliner is not correct. It's just something that I always say accidentally. Well,
1: in, in any case, Tookie seemed to stand out as the most, I don't know, well-known film on that set. So maybe they just figured, like, uh, a lot of people didn't want to, you know, spend over a hundred bucks to just get one film that they know, yeah. So they'll but... spend
0: forty dollars for one movie as opposed to hundred bucks for like yeah, five for or me, six. Like
1: I would much rather buy the set and get one film I really know and love, and then a whole bunch of others that I don't know. And I'm like being you know introduced to that's kind of the fun of those sets but i don't know i guess
0: so moving on we have the great caruso from warner archives uh loosely traces the life of tenor enrique caruso 1873 to 1921 and uh okay mario
1: lanza film you know about mario no i don't know who mario lanza is he is very popular among older people that's for sure Uh, who is he (laughs) He was like an actor, singer guy. Um, yeah, never he heard was, his name before. So he was an opera singer, actually, who kind of got into movies. He died at the age of thirty-eight, actually, in nineteen fifty-nine. So he did lived a short life, but he, yeah, he's definitely more known as a singer. But he got into movies in the fifties, and I don't know, he was like a heartthrob in the fifties. So a lot of older fellow, a lot of older people just really, really love this guy. So the Great Caruso, I think, is his biggest film, and yeah, I don't know. There's definitely an audience. So
0: moving on, we also have Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Finally, getting a special edition in North America. I already got one in uh, the UK a very long time ago. But
1: yeah, didn't this wasn't this part of Twilight Times releases at one point? I think it was right.
0: We... It was, and because Twilight Time folded, uh, due to the passing of its founder, yeah, I guess Kino jumped on the rights and we're finally yeah, able to release they, it. Yeah,
1: uh, they, have put a slipcover on this one, so you know they really care about it. Um, and, yeah, it's great. I don't know. I'm a fan of this movie. Yeah, I am
0: too. I remember when it used to be, like, the Sam Peckinpah movie that, like, everyone's forgotten, but it's his real masterpiece, and now it feels like the one people talk about all the time when they mention Sam Peckinpah. I know, it feels
1: like one of his, yeah, it feels like one of his most famous ones now. I mean, it's, I love how Bleak and... Yeah, just how bleak and nihilistic it is but do we um,
0: need bleak and nihilistic things in our lives right now why can't we just have the funny uh, laugh a minute Sam Peckinpah yeah, movie yeah right <laughs> so moving on we have the choir boys a group of Los Angeles cops decided to take off some of the pressure of their jobs by engaging in various forms of after hours debauchery ooh this is directed by Robert Aldrich ooh a very late period film
1: 1977 I'm a big fan of his never seen this one yeah one of his lesser known ones um, that I'd never even heard of until Kino decided to put it out, but I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, I like Robert Aldrich as well. So
0: we also have The Dawn is Dead. After his mistress is murdered, a mafia leader goes after the killer with a bloody vengeance. Soon after the hunt begins, a gang war ensues. This is directed by Richard Fleischer, who I really like, but he is definitely hit or miss. (laughs) From
1: your description, it sounds like it's really intense, but it I don't know if this one's as intense as it sounds. I feel like it's a little more boring Oh, from what no.
0: I hear. What's funny about Richard Fleischer is, like, I'm not a big fan of his major films, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I only watched it for the first time this year. It was fine, but, like, it really dragged at parts. But, like, his early stuff, like The Narrow Margin, when he was doing noir stuff, or Armored Car Robbery, so good. And... His amazing kind of other angle on "Gone with the Ma- Wind" Mendingo is insane, and highly recommend. I wish that got a special edition, but it only ever got an
1: Olive Film release. I know, yeah. Maybe Olive will step up and put it on their signature line. Some <laughs> I <form>. doubt <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah. So
0: moving on, we have "Little Fugitive: The Collected
1: Films of Morris Engel and Roos Orkin." I don't know who these people are. Well, I only vaguely know who they are, just from working in a video store. We've had like the DVD of this set for years. They are considered – so Little Fugitive is their big kind of like standout feature film where it's about a young boy that fears that he shot his older brother with a gun but the brother's faking it and then he runs away to Coney Island. It's one of those kind of like – I don't want to say it's like Poverty Row kind of production but maybe it is. I don't know. It's – independent kind of like new york set production in the 50s Ooh, and i like that kind yeah, of stuff yeah i figured this i thought this would be like right up your alley um and it's really well like well acclaimed i think it was yeah even nominated for an oscar at the time just looking interesting it yeah because morris engel only made four movies wow yeah so it was nominated for a best uh screenplay oscar at the time because it was basically kind of like a documentary fiction sort of like hybrid thing uh, morris engel and ruth orkin were known for doing a lot of shorts as well i believe Or at least like a number of shorts that they've combined that also had the same kind of vibe as Little Fugitive. So they are all. Uh, collected on this set it's been on DVD before in the same kind of thing they've just upgraded it to yeah Blue I Ray. see here that there was like a two disc special edition that came out a while back yeah and, and we've had that for rental for years and but it is something that I feel like a lot of people still don't really know too much about even when we're going back and trying to rediscover like independent filmmakers from the past I don't feel like they get talked about that no, much never so maybe... never
0: never even came across their names and I know everything that's not true I
1: know almost nothing I need literally Fugitive was well acclaimed at the time, too. I mean, like, it won uh, the Silver Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Like, it actually got a lot of acclaim back. I wonder how it's fallen so through the yeah, cracks. Yeah, it's on the National Film Registry and everything. So, I mean... But I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it's very... Apparently, it's really sort of like... It just has this, like, from the streets kind of documentary-style aspect to it. So... I'm intrigued. I definitely want so to check this So we also out. have
0: Circle of Friends from uh, 1995. Yeah,
1: we're getting into the real classics Three women here.
0: who've been friends since childhood meet at University in Dublin in 1957. Steward and Boyfriend's Life Begins. Whoa, this is a very um, poorly written <laughs> IMDb a summary,
1: but I feel like, Mark, have you seen this I one? I have not. I, I'm aware of this one. <laughs> I mean, this is like Whoa. a drama. Like, this just looks like a boring drama to me. I mean, Chris O'Donnell's yeah. in it, and, you know, Chris O'Donnell was somebody and I- And so is Minnie Driver. I Mini Driver, They're like what a '90s cast there, eh? Chris O'Donnell and Mini Driver falling in love. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know that much about this movie. It's one of those you kind of like see. I just, you know, I know the cover because I see it on the shelf all the time or see it. Oh, the from the screen.
0: director of the January Man, though. You're a fan of the January Man, aren't you? Uh, I've never seen that. actually. Oh, I'm surprised. That would seem again. See, I assume Mark any movie in the '90s that looks kind of shit that he's seen <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs>
1: You know what? I've always been interested in The January Man because it's sort of like a serial killer comedy, right? Isn't yeah. that what it is? Uh,
0: as we'll get to later in this episode, Mark has been spending his time watching real garbage instead. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I was on a pure garbage binge this week, so... But unfortunately, I couldn't fit Circle of Friends into that. Uh, I mean, you didn't want to
0: watch it. There's nothing of interest there for you. I just assume that, like, in the 90s, you just watch it out of, like, grim obligation in the same
1: way that you watch the movies this week. When I was, like, 10 years old, watching movies out of grim... You're like, ah,
0: 1995, circle f- for rent. I'm because sure we my watch parents
1: it. rented this movie when it came out, and I probably, yeah, maybe saw bits of it while they were watching it, and I don't remember. Moving
0: on, we have Kissing a Fool from 1998. Mark, have you seen the? Oh, man, this looks like real garbage. You know what?
1: I haven't seen this. I was planning on trying to watch this this week just because it looks so ridiculous. I always rem- What
0: is this crazy cover? It makes it look like Cruel Intentions. I always
1: remember this, like, coming out at the time. So it's got David Schwimmer when it was, like, right in the middle of his Friends fame. Uh, Jason Lee coming right off of like mall rats and stuff like that. And um, I can't even remember the female Millie Avital, Avital, who I guess, you know, was kind of came and went real fast the big uh, selling point for me on this is it's directed by doug elon who was the mastermind behind entourage no less no! So, <laughs> i guess he was a screenwriter in hollywood before i think this was the only film he directed how many times have you seen the entourage movie uh once <laughs> oh only once you're
0: not a real fan i saw
1: it when it well it's terrible i saw it when it came out because i'm like but you've you know, seen every episode
0: of the tv show right i, I have yeah i, I watched
1: <laughs> 96 episodes i'm looking right now well i watched it when it was on it was i was following it when it was on and it it kind of feels you like know, you didn't watch any episodes because nothing ever happened. Nothing ever really happened. But, you know, I was really into it for a while. But it's funny, you know, after the show ended and then the movie came out, there was like a gap. There was like a several year gap. And I'm like, I just watched it out of obligation. But wasn't that there point. like
0: a time when you watch the show and you're like, oh, this is like satire of this. Like maybe you could say this for the first season. And then as it went on, everyone realized like, oh, no, this isn't a
1: satire. When I was first watching it, I was like in my early 20s. I was stupid. I didn't know anything. So... And I was just into movies, so I liked the whole Hollywood insidery nature of it. But yeah, as it went on, it just like the misogyny of the whole thing that just because it's so badly written to a lot of the time, it just becomes more glaring. And then with the movie, I was like, by that point, I was like in my late 20s, maybe almost 30. And like, it felt so different. I mean, like from the first five minutes, I was like, yeah, this this does not age well at all. Who's your favorite character? I mean, probably uh, Kevin Dillon. Because he was, <laughs> he's the, the dumbest one of them all. He's the least offensive, maybe, of all of them. The rest of them. I mean, look, at one point I enjoyed them all. I thought they were all funny. But then, <laughs> they like, were
0: all my friends. I loved hanging out with them every week.
1: I wanted to be part of the entourage. but <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would never want to be part of anyone's entourage. What a miserable existence. I
1: know, for real. But anyways, yeah, so this is this is Doug. If you're a huge entourage fan and want to know what Doug, Doug Elan was up to before he made this terrible looking rom-com i mean even the plot is hilarious when i was just reading about it it's like david schwimmer is engaged to the female lead but he doesn't like fully trust that she's going to be faithful so he gets uh, yeah he gets his friend played by jason lee to pretend to try and seduce her to see oh if, but do they fall in love for real maybe i don't know i guess we'll have to watch it to find out <laughs> i'm never
0: gonna watch this man i'm realizing as we're going through this list we have not really recommended one thing
1: yet no, no. Like, we'll, we'll get there we'll get there we'll get There. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely get there.
0: So, moving on, we have Prime, a career driven professional from Manhattan, is wooed by a young painter who also happens to be the son of her psychoanalyst. Oh, this is a movie that could only come out in 2005.
1: I know. Well, this was, I remember, kind of like popular at the time just because Meryl Streep was in it. I remember working at Roger's Video and it came out. But I don't think anybody actually liked this movie. I think it was just. Uma
0: Thurman, yeah, Meryl Streep. I remember seeing ads for everywhere, but the poster's so generic. Like, there's so many that had that kind of, like, Noah Efron-esque. Oh, from the director of Boiler Room, a movie I always mean to watch and never have. You know
1: what? I actually really like Boiler Room's a movie I really like, but I'm not sure how well it, like, holds up nowadays. That's but. one that would haunt
0: bargain bins every time I went to, like, Sonic Boom. It's like, don't you want a $2 copy of Boiler well, Room? it was
1: kind of—Boiler Room was like Wall, Stry- Wall Street for the, you know, Y2K generation, right? That was, like, how it was pitched I
0: up. I may not have bought it because— I think at the, I've reached the point in my uh, Blu-ray and DVD collecting life where I've started to like, oh, man, I need to get this, you know, when I'm out on the town in, in a used uh, Blu-ray store. It's like, I've always looked for this one. I pick it up. I get home. I'm like, I already have this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it sucks. So no more Blu-rays and DVDs for the rest of my life. That's what I'm trying to get Never at. again.
1: You're done. You're changed, man. Uh, which just goes <laughs> to show
0: that the thrill of the hunt uh, captivates your thoughts more than just owning the movie.
1: Exactly. It's very true. It's so many things like I'm so excited to see and find and then I finally get them on DVD and they just sit unwatched on my shelf yeah, for, like, <laughs> exactly. for years and like, years.
0: I would go to like when I go to like a BNV, which is a big used uh, Blu-ray store in Toronto and then I look through like, oh, I'm looking for this one and I do it every time for years and when I finally get it I'm like sweet Put it on a shelf, forget about it. Next time I go, I'm like, better look for that one I always look
1: for. (laughs) I know. Yeah, I do the same thing.
0: All right, so moving on, we have Gorillas in the Mist. They're in the Mist, and they're killing people,
1: right? That's the plot of Gorillas in the Mist, right? They are, right? It's like Congo, right, basically? Yeah, Um, yeah, I don't know. This is like a huge movie for, you know, adults in the 80s, I guess. Right? Yeah, rest in peace, Michael Apted. Yeah, right? So this is, you know, Mill Creek. So this was already on Blu-ray from Universal, but Mill Creek's now put this on their VHS retro line so that's
0: what an odd film to put on their VHS retro line it's
1: like some prestige drama from the 80s I thought these were safe for like more you know culty kind of things but listen I guess not, if people you know.
0: buy it because it has a goofy VHS thing I hope so yeah, Mark's like I hope so I bought 40 of them I thought the gorilla heads were out there in the midst.
1: yeah right it's still 1988 you know people like uh, if it was in the 1988 midst, right? I would
0: make like a asylum style rip-off film called gorillas in the fog but they would be murder gorillas <laughs> yeah they should be yeah. Do you think there's enough um, interest
1: that I could get away with it? I think there, there is. I think you could get that made. I just want a
0: gorilla based <laughs> filmography. All right, so moving on, we have The Babe. <laughs> sorry
1: directed by Arthur uh, Hiller A middling 90s film that nobody really remembers I guess this is a uh, Babe Ruth uh, biopic right with uh, John Goodman oh I do love John Goodman though uh, I've never seen this one either but again it's one I remember constantly at the video store seeing that seeing that uh, cover. Babe Ruth is such
0: a piece of shit yeah, though yeah
1: yeah I'll, I'll stick with the Sandlot you know and the uh... oh that's right <laughs> who, played or, um... in the sand... who played the ghost version of him in the Sandlot I can't even when he played himself in
0: Pride of the Yankees
1: <laughs> right right
0: so moving yeah. on we have oh, this is right up Mark alley. My girl and My Girl Two: The Revenge of My Girl.
1: Uh, I cherish these movies. Honestly, I grew up with these. I was
0: so scarred by oh, My me Girl. Too, me too. People would w- play it all the time. I don't know. It's one of those VHS like Fly Away Home that I feel like schools got a copy of and they just played over and over. Oh <laughs> and yeah, over I mean again. not to
1: mention it just being on TV all the time too. Endlessly.
0: I mean, Why are you showing us the one where the kid dies of bee stings?
1: But I, honestly, this uh, spurred on my fear. I had a major fear of bees and wasps. Really? Until I was about, like, into my teens, actually, Based purely on this movie. I like,
0: thought, how, how much, like, were you like, yeah, no, if you ever like saw one? If a one?
1: Bee came around, I would be like that guy, like, no, get it away, because I actually... <laughs> get it away! You, like, pull a gun, you're like... Yeah, <laughs> well, soon after this movie, I actually got stung by a wasp, too, um, and that just spurted on even more, but it all stemmed from Macaulay Culkin getting viciously murdered by by bees in, uh Why?
0: Yeah, it's Macaulay Culkin. Why did I think for some reason that it was the kid from Jerry Maguire? I <laughs> <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Yeah, it was Macaulay. Wait, Culkin what is My and, Girl Two about? He comes back as a ghost, no, it's right? A different
1: kid, so it's like no, I know, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I wish, I wish they brought him back as like a ghost, but I yeah, think,
0: it's like American Werewolf in London, like he's rotting throughout I the know, movie, right?
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's who's the... in the second one? It's Austin O'Brien, I uh, believe. No, who thank was you. In a bunch of other things in the nineties. Oh, you know what? I know why on, they showed but, it
0: all the time because it was Home Alone Fever, and so anything with Macaulay Culkin, people would be like, yeah. What a weird title to My Girl. She's mine. My Girl. Well, they just wanted to play the song. I know. (laughs) My Girl. I mean, what a cast. Uh... Oh, speaking of uh, American Werewolf in London,
1: Griffin Dunn is in this movie. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, don't remember that at all. Dan
0: Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Macaulay Culkin, and Chlumsky. I don't know who that... Oh, okay, I recognize her face. Yeah, no,
1: I remember the main four cast members. I don't remember Griffin Dunn, but I don't think I was really concerned with who Griffin Dunn was as a kid. Mm -mm.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not like, oh, I want that American Werewolf in London, Matt. So it would have made sense if she came back. (laughs) I know, right? So we also have from our good friends Mill Creek... Gold Diggers The Secret of Bear Mountain. Oh, is this more 90s shit?
1: Yep. More nineties kids movie. And more Anna Klumschke actually. She stars in this with Christina. Oh wow,
0: there re- Anna Klumschke and Christina Ricci together you know, at I last. I never saw this
1: movie growing up, but uh I which is weird because I really you know, I had a schoolboy crush on Christina Ricci at the time. So I don't know why I never saw that. (laughs) That's why you were so scared of ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Casper scares spooky. Wait, did you have the classic every teen has this
0: fear based only on movies, the fear of quicksand? Yeah, I definitely had a quicksand fear, I would say.
1: And and there's no rational explanation for it other than it was just from the movies. Probably like Jungle Book. Remember there's a guy
0: that falls in quicksand in that movie?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there was something else, though. I'm blanking on it now. There's an image of my mind of somebody, like, horrifically sinking into quicksand, and I can't remember. I mean, part of it was Jumanji, too, right? Remember when the- Right, Jumanji, f- definitely. Yeah, he gets stuck in the floor. You know?
0: All right, so moving on, we have Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, and it's this week's Blind Bye! Blind Bye! Woo, woo,
1: woo! we uh, capping off the capping off the Mill Creek release. Wow, a lot of Mill Creek releases. Man, as a Stallone head, I'm surprised that I never checked this you one know, out. I never was that much of a Stallone head. I was way more into Schwarzenegger. You could be both. I know, I know, but Stallone just never did it for me the same way. Um, what about Tango and Cash? Tango Cash. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna confess. I've never seen Tango and Cash. <gasps> I know.
0: Gotta watch Tango and Cash. Cash
1: and Tango. No, I will. I, I definitely want to catch up. Listen with... to this cast. Brian James, oh, Clint that. Howard, <laughs> Kurt yeah. Russell. Love it. I love it already. Yeah. No, I know I'm going to like it. I just oh, never. Oh,
0: Robert Zadar in a major role. You know
1: what? I don't know what it was. I just never really you know I saw I saw the Rambo movies I saw Cobra so I saw some of his stuff but it was there was a lot I just didn't really care about I always
0: liked the pathetic Oternus of Stallone Yeah, that he was like very highly aware and he never had that confidence that Arnold Schwarzenegger had from being a bodybuilder if you read interviews with Stallone there was always a neediness there that I found really interesting as like an action star especially that he was so open about it near the end of his not (laughs) near the end of his career
1: (laughs) he's not done yet near the end of his life like (laughs) around
0: the time of like rambo and stuff like that remember he was doing like ain't it cool news q a's yeah, yeah yeah yeah. he really wanted to direct uh the raven uh, like a biopic about edgar Allan poe that he would star you in. know what
1: yeah it's interesting because i totally forgot the backstory of this movie too whereas it it was like arnold schwarzenegger tricked him sort of into being in this really i didn't know that apparently schwarzenegger professed it while well, they were like competing big time at this time so Schwarzenegger professed interest in starring in this because he was just coming off of uh, Junior and Kindergarten Cop and all those comedies with Ivan Reitman, who produced this one. And he decided he pretended to be interested in this so that Stallone and then Stallone got wind of this and was like no I'm gonna be in this so Stallone signed up for it even though he hated the script and it was like terribly and he didn't even he hated the whole production of it but then apparently later on yeah they've talked about it Schwarzenegger just fully trolled him into being in this movie I mean
0: this uh, harkens back to the classic like what if an action star was in a comedy hey Vin Diesel in The Pacifier Dave Badista in My Spy Arnold Schwarzenegger as we've already pointed out in Kindergarten Cop I mean, they got Roger Spotswood, the man behind Tomorrow Never Dies, to direct, and Terror Train. Canadian
1: director, too, right? Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Whoa, Canada's own. Yeah, I, I get you. And I think with Ivan Reitman's, like, producer credit on this, clearly they were trying to do what they did with Schwarzenegger, with Stallone, Ugh, I guess, for But this. this
0: movie is so uncomfortable. But,
1: like, this movie sucks, yeah. This movie is indicative of everything I hate about, like... 90s boomer comedies where it's like family. It's like you got to you got to put up with the annoyingness of your family because it's family. You know, you got to like like Estelle Getty plays the mom who and I love Estelle Getty. I love the Golden Girls, you know, great times. And she's just like the most irritating mom in the world which is the point I yeah get but it. commit
0: to the bit like make it a real action movie and then have comedy come out of
1: that and that's not what this movie does and salone just like acts like a child, and maybe this is the joke like he's supposed to revert to like a 10 year old when she comes back but it's just not interesting to me at all he just acts like such a pathetic man child throughout the whole thing that doesn't even like can't even stand up to his mom and be like Mom, I'm an adult now. Like, what are you doing? I did
0: love the scene where he was in a giant diaper.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did like that. A lot of weird, you know, like vaguely offensive kind of uh 90s humor as you would expect in these i i particularly liked when he's picking his mom up from the airport and she's been clearly talking to everybody on the plane and showing everybody on the plane baby photos of him even though you know they don't know her or anything so she's coming off the plane with all these like flight attendants and they look at stallone and one of them says uh oh even in diapers you look sexy or something like that yikes like, they want to fuck that baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess that's Funny? I, I don't know. Um... I mean... What? where do you stand on kindergarten cop though I like kindergarten cop a lot kindergarten cop's the only one of the Schwarzenegger Reitman comedies that I actually like uh, I agree Twins. I
0: think it's too long it has its issues but I think that the structure of it what it forces uh, the movie to do is that like the kids act like kids and Schwarzenegger is
1: just infuriated the entire time which is why it's funny and like you said earlier about making it more of an action movie I find kindergarten cop actually does act like an action movie a lot of the time like especially at the beginning like it has a A lot of those hallmarks of, like, sleazy 80s Schwarzenegger kind of action movies sandwiched in with, like, the family stuff, which actually kind of makes it more interesting to me. Whereas this kind of seems to do that at the beginning, you know? He's, like, going after drug dealers and stuff. Yeah, there's
0: a few bits here or there, but it doesn't commit to the bit, which is an issue. Yeah, like, there's
1: definitely some big action stuff in it, but, like, yeah, it's just mostly – Lame, the whole thing is just totally lame to me. I just there was no jokes in it. I think I maybe like half smiled once in it, and that was what like, about him in a diaper? Yeah, I mean, him in a diaper is probably the best thing, right? When he's like his dreams, I thought sequence. the premise was going to be that she used to be a cop and that he's embarrassed by how good she is. And that's the thing, that wouldn't that have been a better tension? Where a better like, movie, yeah, yeah, there's like an older cop versus a younger cop, different methods, like. I thought that would have been way interesting, but instead you just get, basically it's like, they just wanted Estelle Getty to do her like golden girls thing, but like in a bit more of a overbearing kind of, but mom it's life. so
0: inconsistent too. She's like super smart one scene and then like a
1: real dumb, dumb Cleans the next. Up whole place. And like, for some reason that the, her cleaning his gun thing to make it not work, like really graded me. The wrong way. I don't know why it was that. It's like, why would you even do that? And then like, but also why would Stallone even leave his gun there? Like it'd be, I it would be more interesting
0: if she was like, let me clean. Your gun, you're not doing it right. Yeah,
1: that's more interesting. But she just like finds his gun in the laundry. Well, first of all, I don't even know why his gun is in the laundry basket anyway. But like, okay, and then she just finds it. Okay, I'm gonna go clean this with all the Clorox and bleach I brought. Even though you know, like, what? Who would do that at all? Who would do that? And then that's just supposed to be a joke, you know? This is a movie that nobody likes. I don't think it has any big fans, unless maybe you were a child when you saw it. I don't know. I mean, I spoke to one of my coworkers who was like a bit like around the age to to see i guess i was a little young when it came out so it came out in like 92 so it would have been fine and he saw it as a kid and he he thought it was terrible as a kid too so i don't even know like (laughs) so yeah so nobody likes likes this movie i don't (laughs) think anybody likes this movie so and yeah judging from the sales so far which have been zero on this uh I don't know if Mill Creek's going to sell many copies. Well,
0: of uh, speaking of movies that nobody liked, let's go into the new section. And let's start do, 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 off with and the and we'll other, off... the
1: new Robert Zemeckis uh, atrocity, The Witches. The Witches. Uh, I did not see this. I don't know. No, did I you didn't see this? it either. Why would I see this? I mean, I'm a big, big Roald Dahl fan. I uh, love the book. When Are I, you? Yeah, when I was a kid. He All was, aspects of Roald Dahl? I mean, take, you know, take it with a grain of salt. He's, his he, anti-Semitism? He's an asshole, just like the rest of them. But I really like his books meant lot lot to me growing up, and especially The Witches. The Witches was one of my favorite of his books. The thing about The Witches, though, is like, there is an amazing Nick Rogue movie (laughs) based on this. I know. I was just going to say, the Nick Rogue movie is great. So I don't know why... I mean, I know why they had to remake this, because they remake but everything, But why does right? Robert
0: Zemeckis want to do this? He can probably do whatever he wants. I don't understand. Because this is, like,
1: the only kind of thing Robert Zeme- Zemeckis does anymore, right? Like, But what, is... what joy does he
0: have in life? He used to be a guy that loved to, like, pull off impossible visual effects, like in Back to the Future, or even used cars. What happened to that guy? What happened? I guess he
1: attempted it, like, with something like The Walk a few years ago, where he tried to do, like more like the 3d effect he tried to bring that kind of visual spectacle yeah i mean i think that's kind of interesting what is interesting about this adaptation of the witches i don't know i mean i haven't had any an iota of like interest in this from the second it was announced like it just looked like some bland i think that
0: the big change is that it has the ending of the book where the kid stays a rat or mouse yeah
1: which i do like that's the one thing i don't like about the nick rogue version is that they make it a happier ending whereas in the book they keep it you know darker which i really really like apart from that though i really like the nick rogue version so i don't know if that's the only thing they changed i don't really care i can just read the book i can just read the the nick
0: rogue version is scary it's all practical it's in your face it feels
1: like no other child child yeah Yeah. and you've got angelica houston in the lead role who's like perfect casting for it i mean anne hathaway
0: supposedly hands it up but she will always be in the shadow of angelica houston
1: i like does Robert Zeme- Zemeckis understand that nobody likes these movies? I don't think Robert Zeme- Zemeckis, Zemeckis, Z- Zemeckis understands anything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Robert Zemeckis understands anything about what audiences want anymore. I feel like he's almost like a James Cameron-esque guy who's just like so trapped in his own like CGI world these days. Because like, where's really... the guy
0: that made Used Cars or wrote 1941? I love that guy. He's long yeah, gone. Yeah, I know.
1: Long gone, my friend. People grow yeah. up. <laughs> Wait,
0: what are the movies that he makes that I like? I mean, I don't like something like What Lies Beneath,
1: but I love the like ambition in it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I liked that
1: as a kid. I remember when I saw it. Yeah, I like when he did more horror stuff. Here and there, but yeah,
0: I, or tried to do stuff practically with mixing CG, but like just a bunch of CG rats running around. I didn't
1: mind like Contact, something like that. And the, Contact's yeah, Contact is good. interesting. Um, you know, even like Flight with Denzel Washington, I didn't mind. I I, okay. I I enjoyed Flight. I thought it was an interesting angle on that kind of story, which you don't usually see. But I don't know. I mean, but then I look at like Beowulf. I remember seeing that in theaters. Oh, when but I was you a, know what? I think Beowulf. At least he was trying he was something. Trying. You know, even like Castaway, I enjoyed at the time. He was he's a filmmaker I've always enjoyed more or less but now i just feel like what is he trying with the witches like i don't understand i don't know i don't know he's trying to make money that's what he's trying to do he has enough money <laughs> like, i know he does that's the thing he doesn't don't we don't need robert zemeckis to make any can money? can you imagine
0: that's- if somebody told you that Robert Zemeckis, the guy who made Back to the Future, would make a Christmas carol starring nothing but Jim Carrey's and it would suck. <laughs> oh god. You
1: know, I never actually saw his Christmas carol. Oh, I, it's I, awful. So bad. Even as a huge Jim Carrey fan, I never I never So we went. also
0: have an Gaku R-Sound, which is a new uh, anime movie from 2019.
1: Sounds interesting. It's about like a delinquent, a trio of delinquent school kids who form a music band. I don't know much about it, but I really like the animation style. It seems like it has cool, a cool, like, funky vibe to <laughs> but it.
0: But you will continue your streak of not watching any anime. I'm not watching anime. So, moving on. What was the last
1: <laughs> anime thing that you watched, Mark? Great question, man. I don't know, actually. Um... Uh, uh, Let's come back to that. yeah, probably a Miyazaki movie actually at this that point. doesn't count
0: I, uh, I uh, specifically said no Miyazaki movies. oh wait, did you watch um our name or whatever it was called No, I've
1: never even seen your name yeah, I've never even your I've name, never yeah, even yeah. seen his work so i'm behind i'm behind you just hate it all right so moving on so much of it moving on we've got uh some more jackie chan action this week with Uh, use those words jackie
0: chan in action very liberally which uh, yeah i know you're a
1: big fan of this movie right awful
0: awful one star terrible this is just a bunch of, like, anonymous pop stars that will probably be thrown in a gulag a couple months after this movie comes out. <laughs> probably,
1: and they just probably. do a bunch
0: of Marvel-style action as Jackie watches off to the side holding a gun.
1: Great. Directed by the guy who did Supercop. Well, it sounds about par for the course. So moving on to other uh, action that uh, I'm sure is not good either. Ip Man, Kung Fu Master, another Ip Man movie. But I, I guess... don't
0: know what this one is. I'm just
1: looking at it real quick. Is this, like, an official part of the series or something? No. No, they're, not, like, they're not like they're not official
0: like anyone can make an Ip Man movie because he's a public figure so. right
1: because yeah well go has been putting out the official ones and this is this has been put out by Magnolia so Ip Man
0: goes somewhere cheap yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. actually this stars the guy that became like his bread and butter was like young Ip Man a little bit because he played young Ip Man in The Legend is Born, another unofficial uh, Ip Man movie. Right. And then he also played him in Kung Fu League, a 2018 movie, which had the uh, hilarious plot that it's all your favorite martial arts heroes coming together. So you got Wong Fei Hong, Fonsei Ip Man... And yeah, and that's pretty much it. He hasn't acted very much. I feel like he's probably a TV guy most of the time. But no, I have not seen this one. I probably won't check it out.
1: <laughs> so. OK, then. Well, moving on, we've got some. Whoa, whoa, uh,
0: whoa. There's another young. Wow. This director, all he does is Ip Man movies, supposedly, because he has another one called Young Ip Man Crisis Time. I assume it's about time traveling because time is in the title. Then's the rule. Ip
1: Man travels through time. All
0: right. So the next movie we have is. Sorry, this is your section. I don't want
1: to steal it. Go, Mark. Go. Well, moving on, we'll blaze through a few here. We've got Yalda Night for Forgiveness, which is a Persian film, highly acclaimed Persian film about the Sharia law situation, about a young woman who is basically accused of murdering her husband and is sentenced to death. And she gets put on like a TV talk show about it, and things go down over the course of that. It's supposed to be really, really good. Uh, we've also got The Maid's Room, which is a thriller about a um, an immigrant to the U.S. who works in, like, a rich family's home in Long Island. There's a crime committed. She sees what happens, and then it becomes this sort of, like, moral thing where, whether she should cover it up for them or not. And then moving on to some horror, we've got Rent-A-Pal, which seems to be a bit, you know, buzzed about. I don't know if this is supposed to be any good or not. It stars Will Wheaton as, like, a psychotic... I don't know. It's about a guy who, you know... Finds a videotape or something about, like... One of those
0: videotapes, have you ever seen the, um, like, Everything is Terrible? Where it's like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, too. I'll just ask you a few questions. Is that like you have a fictional conversation with somebody that's on a videotape, like those existed in the
1: 80s. So then the fictional friend, videotape friend, turns out to be, like... Killer or something, or it turns out to be evil or something. And yeah,
0: maybe he, like, you know, kill, burn them all, maybe, something like that.
1: Yeah, apparently, Will Wheaton is supposed to be really good in this, playing evil, but uh, I haven't seen it. So I don't know. It's been getting some good reviews. It's been getting some good reviews. But moving on to something that we have seen and that we have a lot to talk about. Oh my it God. There's a new release from Lionsgate here, Adverse, starring, oh my God, this cat. The rookie of the year. The rookie of the year himself, Thomas and Nicholas, also known for, also Kevin from American Pie if you remember him more from that. We've got a cast of uh, former greats like Mickey Rourke. We've got Lou Diamond Phillips in Lou this. Diamond
0: Phillips never leaving the single room where he shot all of his scenes over probably half
1: a day. Same with Sean Astin, too, who pops up in this in a couple scenes. Uh, Penelope Ann Miller. And then we've got even more 90s uh, relics like Andrew Keegan, you know, from Camp Nowhere and 10 Things I Hate About You. And also, you know, he founded a cult a couple of years ago, so that's kind of weird. Oh, yeah! He's the guy who founded the cult where people were getting tattoos and stuff? Yeah, yeah, and they got uh, raided for selling illegal kombucha or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Tim and Eric on Cinema sketch where he kills all those people with vapes that yeah, he gives Yeah, exactly. Out.
1: It's like the same thing. And then it also, even this movie has uh, Luke Edwards in it, who's the wizard himself, who we talked about. Uh, you know, back when The Wizard was coming uh, in.
0: I was distracted by the guy who plays Constantine on all the DC uh, TV shows. Matt Ryan shows up in this. And I'm like, what is he doing here? Like, he's better
1: than this. I know. Anyways, you're probably wondering, what is this movie adverse you're talking about? This is a new VOD thriller about a um, an ex-con played by Thomas Ian Nicholas. Oh, I should mention he's a Latino ex-con, even though Thomas Ian Nicholas is in no way Latino that I know oh, of was wondering so not not at all all. he really goes full you know it's almost like Shia LaBeouf in the tax collector though he gets he puts cornrows on oh my god
0: there is a flashback sequence that when it happened I had to send it right to mark the photo of it which I
1: know he had seen where to uh indicate that Thomas Ian Nicholas is younger he has he's got cornrows is what he's got and it is very funny he also played like
0: a comedy thing because like it cuts to a flashback Then he cuts to him in cornrows
1: and it's like, that's it. Then it moves on. So he even puts on a weird kind of accent, which I guess is him attempting to do sort of like a a Latino accent, but it doesn't come off like that at all. So anyways, he is an ex-con. He's tasked with... um, Now he's out. He's tasked with kind of watching over his younger teenage sister because their parents have passed away and everything. Oh,
0: he is very bad at it as well.
1: Oh, he's terrible at this. She has been getting into basically drugs. She has this boyfriend who's been... Who's getting in with this drug dealer who is... The boss of this whole operation is Mickey Rourke. Uh, meanwhile, yeah, this guy, this guy is also a rideshare driver, so this is how he. There's a lot going on in this movie. He's a rideshare driver. But the rideshare element doesn't really even play into it. It doesn't really come into it, except for the way this is just how he meets Mickey Rourke's character, which is, is this, just accidental. Like, what is going on? Yeah, it's just accidental because it just sets up the coincidence that Mickey Rourke he develops this relationship with Mickey Rourke's crime boss, which then allows it to somehow he be a, he's able to take advantage of that later on when basically yeah his because. Basically,
0: his sister, disconnected from any of them, gets involved with Mickey Rourke's drug
1: operation. Really unrealistically done, but okay, whatever.
0: So this movie, as it played, I was like, wait a minute, did Thomas Ian Nicholas either write or produce this? And it's like, yeah, he produced
1: it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, what's even more interesting is the guy who directed and wrote this, this guy named Brian A. Metcalf. he also stars in this as one of the lower level drug dealers. Oh,
0: he's he's the drug dealer who just sits in that room and he's like, put your hand on the table yeah
1: he gives himself a real like meaty role to like tear loose with uh, but it's funny he's directed a few movies now and they all involve Thomas and Nicholas and Andrew Keegan actually as well as some other so it looks like is it part of their cult of some kind I think they're all friends going way back or something but I'm, I'm not sure um, so this is like the third movie I think they've done together it's sort of a thriller I, I will say I mean this movie is obviously terrible but I will say oh, I thought it was boring <laughs> like I
0: can't even think of an uglier film that I've ever that I've seen in the last year and I checked they shot it on a red a red 8k that is insane
1: oh god it looks so yeah it looks so gray and bleak and oh man they whenever there's violence the blood the CGI blood splatters that go everywhere <laughs> are so, so funny. funny
0: there's a shot where matt ryan gets killed i cannot imagine him having to shoot that shot because it's him like sticking his tongue out like as someone pretends
1: to stab something in his head this
0: is essentially
1: a dry fan film it pretty much is yeah and it and it all culminates in a hilarious extended sequence where Thomasy and nicholas takes uh basically goes out for revenge on this uh crime syndicate and and with a tire iron beats all these guys. To yeah. Death. It's like you were never really here, but more edgy and badass. Mix Yeah. Mixed kind of with old boy a little bit too, with that whole thing. And he just, and it's hilarious how many of these dudes he killed. He just like walks into their operation and they're all just standing there like ready to get hit in the head with his tire iron. So, um, I don't know. I found this movie hilariously bad, though, in a way. I, I thought it was going to be really boring. And it... Mickey Rourke looks like he's going to die on screen. <laughs> oh, man. Mickey R- I don't know what's happened to Mickey Rourke. His face looks like it's about to fall off at any well, moment. Well, it's right? been looking like it's going to fall off for the last 20 years. Yeah, oh, But even more particularly in this, I-, I will say I I need to give some props to Andrew Keegan for a hilariously over-the-top performance, too. He- he's not in it that Wait, much. Wait, who does he so play? He plays Mickey Rourke's like, kind of like right-hand man, like his kind of like... Uh, right-hand assassin man he's he's the guy that chases after the girl in the parking garage remember that sequence
0: right he's not the guy that like brutally
1: uh kills the woman that is trying to be saved no yeah yeah that's a different guy but andrew keegan goes all out with a ridiculous performance in it everybody joined is... my cult
0: you can see why he was so charismatic and everybody joined a sex
1: well, cult. well apparently the apparently the cult ended a couple years ago so i don't even know what he's doing anymore i guess he's just doing movies like this apparently yeah you know following his passions i don't know this movie no Beckman. no Beckman, that's for sure but you know there was enough in this to keep me watching throughout you know a lot of the times these movies just kind of like get boring, and then I sort of tune out halfway through. I mean, this one kind of held my interest. Yeah, you know all what?
0: I'll say that. It had more stuff in it than uh, anything we've watched with Billy Zane. I'll name. say that.
1: You know, uh, there was enough. And it
0: did get uh, goofier and wilder as it went along, but that first hour is pretty rough. Yeah, when you're following like the sister, and then she's doing heroin. And uh, our hero is just like shitty and sucky and yelling at people for throwing cigarettes. I just
1: spent like the whole first part of it wondering, like, is Thomasy and Nicholas Latino or not? Like, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know this guy was Latino. And then I look it up after. I'm like, no, his parents are of like Irish and German and like British descent. Like, so I'm like, oh, OK, that's an interesting choice. But I think it's weird when like a, a white guy decides to play a latino character when there's really no reason for him to play that
0: oh people won't believe that a white guy will be in any kind of financial trouble yeah
1: right like all right sure but you're right the flashbacks oh those
0: flashbacks they
1: keep coming up too keep bringing a smile to my face all right so let's move on and blaze through the rest of these we've got uh will and grace the revival season three so if you were you know still watching will and grace nope (laughs) the final season of their reboot show Oh, the final season so they die at the end of this they're they're done yeah (laughs) and then we've got some documentaries to wrap things up we got marky and milwaukee which is a uh, documentary about a transgender woman in the midwest who actually it goes through the process of detransitioning because of all the pre- uh, the uh, pressure from her fundamentalist church and everything. Ew, Just, no! Heart-wrenching stuff, yeah. But then on a more lighter note, we've got Queer Japan from Altered Innocence, which takes a look kind of at, like, basically the queer art culture in Japan and how, like, fun and lively it is these days. So that's supposed to be really good. And then we've got a couple of music documentaries. We've got the Lil Peep documentary, Everybody's Everything. Are you a Lil Peep fan? Or were you a Lil Peep fan? <laughs> I've never heard of them before. Oh, uh, well, Lil Peep was a... Uh, a rapper, American rapper, who died really young, like died a couple of years ago at like the age of 21, ODing on drugs. He kind of like he had a cult following for for like a few years, and they made a documentary about him. So, and then to finally finish things off here, we've got the most important film of the week, Artifact. Which, if you don't know what that is, this is Jared Leto's documentary which he directed about his band 30 seconds to mars and their contract dispute with emi records who cares but yeah this movie's a weird one this actually played at tiff in 2012, now this has been a long time ago, and I assume the only reason it played a TIFF is was because Jared Leto, you know, directed it, was involved with it. I mean, this really, you know, brings me back to my teenage years when I was, you know, a big Thirty Seconds to Mars fan and obsessed with Jared Leto. Holy shit! I was into pop. I was into emo and pop punk for a while. I was, de- I was definitely into it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sorry. Uh, Thirty Seconds to Mars. I'm glad they exist because it could lead to the amazing joke and pop star. Where uh, Andy Samberg goes ten seconds this is an eternity, Harry. It's a third of the way to Mars. And then Tim Meadows is like Connor. We've talked about this. Thirty Seconds to Mars is the name of a band. It's not a fact.
1: Actually, yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good gag. I forgot. All about right, that. so you like Thirty Seconds to Mars? What's the best album, Mark? Um, I mean, I don't. I don't even remember the album titles anymore. I had the one that i really liked had that song the kill on it which had that video that was like a shining ripoff sort of thing that was but i can't remember what the i can't remember what the album was but i will admit by this point by the time this movie was made i wasn't really listening to the 30 seconds okay so 2012 yeah i was kind of off of them at that point but apparently they had some big yeah you had moved
0: on to other bands like imagine dragons and mumford and sons exactly
1: right exactly uh but at this point apparently they had some big contract dispute with their label emi and it turned into this big lawsuit thing anyways That's all that this documentary is about, which is kind of hilarious because basically he takes the the stance that like basically music labels are like corrupt and they always just want to get. Well, they are. Yeah. And they (laughs) want to get the most out of bands and not pay them and everything, which is valid for sure. But it's really hilarious and tone deaf coming from a person like Jared Leto, who was already a famous actor at that point, which gave him so much freedom to even start up this band. Like, would 30 Seconds of Mars even exist if Jared Leto wasn't already a famous actor, you know? All this contract dispute stuff and, like, yeah, I watched this kind of, like while I was doing other things because it gets really boring after a while because it's really just complaining about music labels and how they're like screwing him over and not paying them enough and it's like dude you already make so much money like what is your problem it's not like this is some look at like in real indie bands and how they get screwed over at labels because he does have interviews with other bands too but it's all like Incubus and uh, you know even Chester the late the late Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park shows up to talk about like it's all like major major bands you know the,
0: the guy from Three Doors Down are like, listen, we're just being crushed by the man. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like those kind of bands, right? The so people like, who, I think they
0: opened like Trump's inauguration because nobody else would play. They did,
1: because nobody else would, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's like, it's a documentary about like something that's, I guess, kind of important, especially I guess if you're into like the music industry, you'll find this interesting. But like, I mean,
0: it is important. Like the labels are awful and then they treat their people like garbage. Yeah, there's
1: some int- interesting info in this, but like mostly it's just Jared Leto complaining about how his band's not getting paid what they're worth. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Turns around, takes a $20 million paycheck on a movie, turns back being like,
1: we need to be paid! I mean, and it's funny, too, because, like, even his bandmates look kind of, like, sick of this document. Like, it seems like this is just Jared Leto's thing, and even his bandmates don't seem like they care that much about this documentary. Like, there's one hilarious scene that I remember where he's like, Jared Leto's in, like, a huge rage about this. He's just talked to, like, his lawyer about what's going on and he's just going on this rant about how like they just want to own every piece of music i want to make he's just like pacing back and forth over in this apartment as his bandmates just look on and he's like they want to own every single piece of music i make even if i sit down at the piano and i just like bang out some chords look i'm just gonna do it now and then he sits down at the piano and he just like bangs out a few keys and he's like oh, great, so I don't own that music anymore, and I'm like, and I'm just watching this, I'm like, uh, do, do we need to call some help here? Is Jared Leto okay right now? Like, Why didn't
0: Jared Leto just start his own label? He has enough money, just do it he himself. He has
1: money, right? So, like, and then I'm reading afterwards, like, they just settled the contract dispute and they're just they just made more records with this label so it really like it was fine in the end it was just a waste i don't know why this documentary even exists but <laughs> well yeah.
0: i mean considering it came out like uh 8 years after it was made well, i that's think the thing.
1: yeah it played at tiff 8 years ago and it's just coming out like it's finally getting a release through film buff and gunpowder and sky like right now <sighs> all somebody. right
0: Well, that's it for this week. Bay Street Video, uh, still not open, right? I mean, well, I keep saying that. You're open. Just call to pick stuff up.
1: Yeah, we're doing curbside. So technically we are allowed to open our doors again to the public because Ontario has, you know, gone into the next stage of like, you know, opening things up a little bit again. We don't feel that's really the right thing to do around here because the numbers are still really high and there's variance and there's just a lot of what ifs and our store is really small. So we're keeping it say We haven't opened our doors yet to the public. We are still doing curbside pickups, though, and we're just playing it week by week right now and just seeing what All
0: happens. All right. So that's it. I have no news. No updates for me. Actually, I do. If you are one of the people who only listen to the Bay Street Video Podcast, God bless you. Uh, check me out on YouTube, Film Trap. I post videos, reviews. I review three new movies that come out every week and something I call the best new movie show it is
1: hell please watch it to make it Watch. do it justin is by far the most knowledgeable person i have ever known about movies and i'm not even making i'm not making that oh
0: uh, well thank you mark
1: so uh keep on buying i guess and keep on renting
0: uh, what you wanna watch. 30 seconds tomorrow these
1: movies and many more are available at your local video store That's one of their songs, right? Just, just you know, YouTube, yeah, YouTube the Kill music video and just see how the hilariously bad shining. And imagine Mark with black nails. Imagine me looking exactly like Jared Leto looks in that movie, in that music video. I, because that was my look back then. That was my look.